1: Hi everyone, and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist. With me, your host Chloe Timms. This week, I'm talking to Carol Haley about her thriller, The Silence Project. Carol lives in Wales with her husband and two rescue dogs. She completed the six-month Guardian UEA novel writing course taught by Bernardine Evaristo, who imbued Carol with such a love for writing that she abandoned her career in law to undertake an MA in creative writing and later a PhD. In this episode, we discuss how frustration with politics inspired her theme of silence, why she's glad her other novel didn't sell, and the strange way she found her agent by not winning a writing competition. But before we hear that, here's Carol with an excerpt from The Silence Project.
2: In a fire, you die long before your bones ignite. Skin burns at 40 degrees. Above 760 degrees, skin turns to ash. Bones are less flammable because they need to be exposed to 1,200 degrees to burn. Although long before that, the layer of fat which you carry under your skin will boil. Your internal organs will explode. You'll be dead, even though your skeleton remains intact. On the 31st of October, 2011, I watched my mother burn to death. It wasn't an accident. She built her own pyre, She doused it in petrol. She climbed up and stood with her legs apart, bracing herself. I didn't know what she was planning. I assumed it was another publicity stunt, which of course it was, just not in the way that I was expecting. Mum was wearing a green dress with diagonally cut pockets. From one of them, she produced a lighter and briefly held it above her head as if it were a trophy. Even then, I was convinced she would walk away. I'm sure the press thought so too. In those later years, Rachel of Chalkham's protests always attracted television crews, but nobody could have anticipated that they were about to witness the scoop of their careers. I'm surprised by the details I remember from that day. I can feel the pressure of Tom's arm around my shoulders as we watched my mother. I remember the smell of his fingers as he stroked my cheek. I remember the sky was cloudless, which was unusual for an October day in Hampshire. I remember my mother didn't look at me, Not once. Not as she crouched down, wobbling slightly. Not as she ran her thumb along the top of the lighter, cupping her left hand around it. Not even as she lowered the flame towards the petrol-soaked branches. What I remember most clearly about that day is that my mother died as she had lived, in complete silence. The pain of melting skin and boiling fat must have been excruciating in the seconds before her nerves stopped carrying signals to her brain, Yet my mother did not cry out, Rachel of Chalkham, silent to the end.
1: Hi, Carol. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really happy to have you on with me today to discuss your debut novel, The Silence Project.
2: Hi, Chloe. It's fantastic to be here. Thank you.
1: So can you start by telling us what The Silent Project is about?
2: Sure. So it imagines what it might be like to be the daughter of a woman who starts a movement that changes the world. But while many people believe that Amelia's mother is the saviour of humanity, many others think she's a monster and a mass murderer. So it's about how power corrupts and how a movement that started with the best of intentions can become a shadowy, sinister cult. But also Amelia feels trapped by her mother's legacy. And so she hopes that if she can understand why her mother did what she did, she can finally step away from her mum's shadow and begin to make her own way in the world.
1: Yeah, such an amazing premise of the novel. And I think you really, and you do question it in the novel about, you know, whether Rachel has created this kind of monstrous thing or whether she is the monster herself. We'll talk a little bit about Rachel in a bit, but I'd love if you could tell us a little bit about where the inspiration came from I know it came from somewhere kind of slightly more political I guess <laughs> it
2: did it I the inspiration came from my realization that the first thing I was doing every morning when I woke up was ch- checking to see what Trump had tweeted overnight and I should I should make it clear I'm not a Trump fan <laughs> <I was there laughs> cheering for Trump's tweets but but it was it was the way that everything had become, particularly as well with Brexit um, in this country, it had it become so polarized. So actually, regardless of which side of things people sat politically, everyone was just shouting at everyone else. And it seemed to me, and I know lots of to lots of people, it wasn't particular to me, but that we'd sort of lost the middle ground and actually any any sort of ability to just have a civilized conversation about things and listen to other points of view and so that's that's where it came from um yeah and also and also there was the whole thing about trump um believe or at least giving the impression that he believes that whatever he says is the truth (laughs) and so how actually we'd sort of lost um Uh, the sort of moral truth of things and and again whoever shouted loudest seemed to sort of be the person who at that particular moment was was the keeper of the truth.
1: But anyone who is thinking not a book about Trump can breathe a sigh of relief because he (laughs) doesn't feature in this novel and it is a, a novel that deals with these kind of themes and topics but in a very original way and you i I saw an interview where you said your ultimate goal really was not to kind of speak really about kind of politics but to entertain your reader ultimately
2: yeah absolutely i mean at the end of the day i i think i mean it must be true for well i hope it would be true for most novelists you you just want people to read the book and put it down thinking it wasn't a waste of their time (laughs) and and so yes entertainment was a was the first thing, and it's it's absolutely. I mean, it is being marketed as a political thriller as well as a feminist dystopian book. But and I absolutely sort of embrace the political thriller mm. thing. But it's not yeah, Trump. Trump doesn't figure, and the politics uh, are very much, I think, in the sort of back background of, of things.
1: Yeah, it's much more as well about the relationship between mother and daughter, and and how this um, movement has has impacted their relationship as well. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about the structure of the novel because it's kind of unusual in in the fact that it is a book within a book and I was wondering kind of where the idea of writing it as a memoir came to be. Well so there
2: was two reasons for it. The, the one sort of quite simply was that it was never intended um and this isn't a spoiler cuz it ha- happens on the first page <laughs> rachel who starts the community dies and so and i didn't want the book to end at that point so she clearly couldn't be the narrator and i was really interested in the mother daughter relationship cuz you know let's be fair what's not fascinating about a mother daughter relationship so it had to be somebody other than rachel and the obvious person to pick was her daughter and how how what rachel does impacts her daughter so there was there was that decision but actually the book within the book and framing it as a memoir was because i really enjoyed and found it easier to write using a framework like that and and i i found i found because then it lent itself to using um well to bringing in fictional other material like news reports and you know interviews on the radio and things like that. And actually it really helped me. Um because when I was, you know, if I w- if I was sort of struggling a bit for how to move a scene along, I would <laughs> I would I would introduce, you know, Amelia goes and looks something up on Google, for example. And and um so actually I I loved working sort of in a framework. Now actually the the novel I'm working on now, i decided to do the same thing because it it kind of feels a bit like a cheat that <laughs> helps me move things along. So yeah, that was why I did the book within the book structure.
1: So is the structure one of the first things that you were confident and definite about or did that kind of come after you'd already started thinking about the story and working on it a bit? Was it a later invention or was that there from the beginning?
2: Actually it was a later invention, having said that uh, uh, how um how much i enjoyed doing it that way it was it didn't come in at the end i mean it was it was sort of a um i'd written probably i don't know maybe thirty thousand words and then i thought no actually what i'm writing here is a memoir because also also it or a fictional memoir because also some of the i i realized that some of the way i was f- framing some of the writing did have a feel of and I don't want to make it sound boring because hopefully it's not but sort of more academic in very small pieces and that that only works I think in the context of it being a memoir so I sort of wrote 30,000 words and I thought oh no this is what I'm writing this is what I'm writing so I sort of went back to the beginning and then built the framework of it being a book within a book.
1: Mm. I love books that do that. I mean, even talking about different genres, like Janice Hallett's *The Appeal*, it does that so well with the emails and the texts. And then you've got people like uh, Taylor Jenkins Reid, who does, you know, incredible kind of like documentary-style books. Um, I think I love it because, and, and I have to say, Carol, I was—you did—you did manage to fool me at some points, and I was sat there kind of googling some things being like I don't know whether you've made it up I don't know whether it's real and you've blended this kind of like fiction and reality and like you said you've got these fake BBC news articles and I'm and I think I've seen a review where someone was like tried to go on the website and it doesn't exist and uh you know it's so clever and I love it but that surely that's like makes it more fun for you as well because it's not just so, I mean, of course, part of the writing is just sitting down every day and getting your words down, but that must have made the kind of writing process more fun for you as well.
2: It it really did. It really did. It was huge amounts of fun coming up with um um book titles and and yeah, interviews that had never happened. And and I mean I love Taylor Jenkins Reid as well. I mean, I absolutely love her and um I, I think it was it was probably a subconscious influence. I didn't set out, I certainly, and my book, you know, I, I think it's, it's very different to hers, but I do think that um her style of writing subconsciously anyway influenced me. Uh, and also um Lincoln in the Bardo. Um and that 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 also massively had an influence. And, and it is just so much fun, yeah, coming up with fictitious fictitious news reports and and I've loved seeing the reviews where where people have said I I tried to click on the link and in <laughs> I, yes it worked it worked it did
1: work and it it worked to me as well and, and also because you do talk about real life disasters and some that I couldn't actually remember so I was like has Carol just invented this disaster or did it happen and and the ones that I looked at had happened and you've managed to weave them into The plot of your novel in the sense that there were some I think terrorist attacks where in your novel you were saying this was a link to the community and I thought that was really 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 smart and really clever I wondered but I wondered whether you were influenced in your research and your kind of world building in any kind of real life political groups or cults that kind of influenced how you wrote about Rachel's group.
2: Um, before I started writing The Silence Project I finished a PhD and um, it was a PhD in creative writing and what um, certainly I did at Swansea University and what you have to do there and I think it's similar in a lot of creative writing PhDs is that you obviously you have to write a creative piece in my case it was um, a a novel a previous (laughs) novel Um, but you also have to write a 20,000 word dissertation which is effectively a smaller version of what most other people would write for the PhD and mine was um on the subject was how to invent a religion right and so I did three years of research into cults and they were all religious cults um and I was keen not to write about a religious cult I mean I love a culty book <laughs> and I love a religious cult book but I didn't that's not what I wanted to write but I think the obviously all the component parts to a cult are the same, whether it's religion or not. And, and with things like Scientology, for example, which I did a lot of um, research into, you know, it's only, they only became classified as a religion for tax reasons. Mm. Um, they weren't a religion, in fact, um, their founder didn't want it to be a religion for a very long time until he realized he could get a tax break so i think i think whether it's a religion or not is is sort of by the by the, the um essence of a cult is the same and so yes i've done a huge amount of research and then specifically for the silence project green and common i i didn't do as much research but i you know i'm old enough that i remember um, sort of pictures on the telly and I've met people whose mothers took them to Greenham Common and um, I'm not saying that's a cult what I'm saying is that's a political movement so um, I remember that and I think it really stuck with me I I, I must have been I don't know my early teens perhaps and and I just you know the idea that these women were, were sort of taking themselves off and sitting for this thing that they believed so passionately in really stuck with me so I think mm-hmm even though I hadn't really thought about it since I was a kid, that really felt felt sort of fed into it as well. So there's a lot of influences, yeah.
1: <laughs> so I'd love to go back in time and talk more about how you became the writer of The Silence Project and where your writing journey began. And one of the things I wanted to ask about was um, something that happened on your 40th birthday and a present for your husband that kind of changed everything for you
2: so i um i had always wanted to write um like so many of us i've always wanted to be a writer but i became a lawyer and um i started a law firm and i so i had a lot of responsibility and um and i've always read i never didn't read i always made time to read but but Although I used to write as a kid, I never actually—I just didn't have the time or the energy to write while I was running a law firm. Um, and so, <clears throat> fast forward to yeah, my my sort of uh, heading towards my 40th birthday, and my husband uh, and I clearly remember it came into the room, so like our living room, and um, he had the Guardian with him, and he had seen an advert for they don't—I don't think they run them anymore—they do. They now do sort of weekend masterclasses, but this was the first six month how to write a novel Guardian masterclass. And um, so it was every Monday night going to the Guardian offices in London, which was amazing. Um, And uh, he said, I will pay for you to do this writing course. You either do it or you shut up forever (laughs) about wanting to be a writer you said it's your choice <laughs> one or the other and um it was amazing and i mean that was that that was just like the the best thing that anyone has, has ever done for me it was so incredible so but what became even more amazing was that i um so obviously i said yes i'll do it <laughs> <laughs> and as i say it was every monday evening for 3 hours Um, for six months, I'd go along, there was 12 of us, and our teacher was Bernadine Evaristo.
1: Oh my goodness.
2: (laughs) Which was, now at the time, she was was a really critically acclaimed writer, but she hadn't, you know, she wasn't in the sort of public eye as she is Mm. now, and hadn't had the commercial success that she has so sort of richly deserved, which has come to her now. But what she was, in addition to being really I mean she's a fabulous person she's an amazing writer but she's also a brilliant teacher and we were just so lucky because well for me anyway she she changed my life because I did the course and at the end of it actually how it left me was profoundly unhappy with being (laughs) a lawyer (laughs) which at the time maybe didn't feel so lucky (laughs) but um it, it was incredible. She was so inspirational. And um, so I and I thought, I'm, yeah, either I could, you know, work for another as a lawyer for another 20 years. And, you know, when I retire, I can try writing or I could actually, you know, make the leap. It, it took quite a while um, because it took another two years because I felt really responsible so I'd set up this law firm I had um you know 15 lawyers working for me and and this you know I I didn't it took me a long time to get my head around the idea that I could I could step away from it um and you know my husband was really supportive and and my family were sort of really Well, my dad actually wanted me to stay as a lawyer, but
1: (laughs) the rest of my family. That's just dad, doesn't it? Come (laughs) on. (laughs) Um,
2: So, yes, it wasn't something I did lightly. I I took my responsibilities to the firm and and to to my colleagues really seriously. But in the end, what I decided to do was to apply to do an MA at Goldsmiths in creative writing. And I thought if they give me a place... Then maybe this, you know, maybe I'm not rubbish, and it's worth, worth making the leap. And if they don't give me a place, then you know I tried, and that's it. And and so I applied, and they gave me a place. And then one of the worst days of my life was going in and t- telling everyone I was going to be leaving, but um, but I did, and and the law law firm's still thriving, so you know they're probably doing better without me, which is, <laughs> which is great. Um. So yeah, that that was, uh, that was all stemmed from my husband coming in and saying you either do this course or never talk about it again.
1: <laughs> well, thank goodness he did. Yeah. <laughs> I saw another interview with you where you said that um, The Silence Projects is actually the third novel that you've written and the first two weren't traditionally published. And you said in this interview that actually you don't regret anything, you w- you don't wish this had happened sooner and that the experiences with those other two books kind of led the way for you writing the silence project so i'd love if you could kind of tell us about those two books and what do you think made the silence project stand out and and capture the attention of um editors enough to get a book deal a lot can happen in the next three years
0: like a chatbot may be your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: So the first novel that's that, that lives in a drawer, um, <laughs> I started actually on The Guardian course, and then I finished drawing my MA. And um I had... Uh, i I got an agent for it straight away. And, um, as I'll sort of make make clear, this isn't my now agent. and um he he was very, very enthusiastic about it. and um it, i don't, I don't know. I didn't I mean, I loved what I'd written, but it didn't feel to me that I had written something that is one of those that that was the. The basis of one of those stories you hear about, where somebody writes their first novel and then they immediately get an agent and then it goes to a thirteen-way auction. I just didn't think I—I didn't think I was—I'd written something that good, and it wasn't false modesty. I think it was—I I genuinely didn't think it was that amazing. So when he—he he was like, "I'll come and meet you anywhere to you know talk about it," and I'll say, you know, and it was great and it was flattering, but it just—it just didn't feel right or it didn't feel like I'd written the thing that 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 should have engendered that sort of um response. And sure enough, he sent it out um and it it got some I got some well it it was rejected by everyone he sent it to. I got some really good feedback in that they were saying, you know, I love the right. It was like right, write a wrong book
1: sort right <laughs> of kind
2: of thing um and so actually, I mean it was disappointing, but I I wasn't sort of wholly surprised by that. Anyway, um, I, I after I finished my MA, because um, I'm a, a sucker for, uh, for education, I went and started the PhD. And so I wrote another book or I started writing another book during the PhD. And um, I finished the book and my PhD supervisor, that's Swansea University was really enthusiastic about it. And so, you know, thought it was brilliant. And I thought it was considerably better than the first one I'd written. And my then agent, who is remaining nameless for a reason, said he thought it was unpublishable. and I, But he didn't tell me why. He gave me no feedback. He just said it was unpublishable. He refused to send it out. He refused to, to anyone. He ref- but but he also just didn't give me any feedback whatsoever and that actually that was crushing I, mm. I found that that's where I realized quite how much resilience <laughs> you need to have if you're going to be a writer I, I found that um, really difficult to deal with because I just didn't know what was wrong with it I because because he just didn't give me any it was all very amicable but and then he said but you know come back when you've got a third and um I thought no you're you're, you're all right no so as they say very amicable parted ways and actually that's why um it's a very long answer to the why I'm glad that it was the mm. third one because actually my agent now um and I sort of came by her through quite a weird route, which I can tell you in a sec, but my agent now is fantastic. She's amazing. She loved The Silence Project, uh, but she also gave me sort of, um, I, had, I think I had three months full time writing revisions when she gave me notes on it. And that's what I wanted. I wanted somebody to say it's brilliant, but it could be better. Mm. Whereas the first, the, my first novel... The agent then had sort of just sent it out with no no he gave me no suggestions whatsoever he just sent it out and it was rejected and then the second one he refused to send it out and gave me no suggestions either and and i i i just don't think as a sort of baby lawyer that you know i didn't think i was the one genius writer that had written something perfect and i wanted the feedback and i didn't get anything from him so I'm just so glad she's yeah Marina de Pass Soho Agency. She is amazing. I
1: absolutely so love her. so tell us how you got her then.
2: Well, yeah, so really, really, I I still don't don't quite understand how this came to be. So I decided the um the best way of um sort of trying to, I guess, stick my head above the parapet again. Because um, the whole querying thing with the agents after the experience of the first one, I, I just I just, just, didn't have the stomach for it, was to enter competitions. So I entered the first 5,000 words of the Silence Project, which is pretty much in the form that it is now still, for um, the Bridport Prize and Blue Pencil Agency, they're a literary consultancy mm-hmm. prize. Um, And I think Bath Novel Award. Anyway, I got nowhere in the Bath Novel Award. Um, I also got nowhere in the uh, Blue Pencil Agency Prize either. In the end, I was shortlisted for the Bridport First Novel Award, which was brilliant. But after all the competitions had ended, um, which is sort of autumn each year, the um, lovely lady called Emma, who runs the um, Blue Pencil Agency, emailed me out of the blue. Honestly, I thought it was a joke to begin with, because she said, um, meeting an agent next week, would you like me to um, show her your submission to the competition? Now, I got nowhere. I wasn't longlisted. I just forgot, and it's like, this is a bit weird, because I submitted it months ago. I got nowhere at all. Anyway, yeah, she, um, she well, it wasn't a joke. And um, I still don't really understand. I have met her, but I still don't really understand how it wasn't good enough to be longlisted. But she also did think it was good enough to to give to an agent, and the agent she was meeting was Marina. Um, and so, yeah, I'm 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 utterly grateful, and it is as a result of entering a competition, but a competition where I didn't actually <laughs> <laughs> didn't get anywhere at all.
1: <laughs> oh, that is great, though. I mean, it just shows that it's just impressing or ticking the box of someone even if you don't get anywhere I mean because I don't know how many judges the competition had, but obviously some competitions have several judges or it goes through several rounds but if you spark something in someone they may know someone who knows someone who knows someone that could get you an agent or even just a conversation so it's definitely worth applying to all these things I mean particularly I think when you get competitions that are really renowned or have you know opportunities for feedback they're they're great to to even just get your work out there and see how it's uh, received so obviously it worked fantastically for you so did you ever consider showing that second book to her or was that kind of just you know you'd you decided that it was almost in the past and you weren't gonna go down that route again
2: she um she has a copy of it, but I don't think she's read it. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't I yeah I don't know I I I I feel like it is a bit of a I still really love the second book that I wrote the supposedly unpublishable one, but um I, it feels like a bit of a retrograde step. I sort of want to 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 carry on going hmm. forwards. Um, well, so- I mean,
1: you talk you talked about resilience and you know how how all that almost rejection by being told it was unpublishable made you it soured the relationship and and kind of really made you realize how hard it is but what then made you carry on because I imagine there was probably a part of you that just thought well that's it you know I've written a book I've spent time writing two books now but neither of them are are going to be published what made you carry on was it a, a belief in yourself or was it something else that made you just think you couldn't stop you had to carry on
2: <laughs> yeah that's that's another really good question I, th- I think so I was um by then I was in my late 40s and I'd given up work as a lawyer I didn't want to go back to work as a lawyer I didn't know what else I would I mean I'd given up work as a lawyer to write and although I have like I've done some teaching at, I taught on the MA course at Swansea University I, I, I mean I the reason I'd completely upended my life uh, was to write and so it it was a sort of well, what What else am I going to do. Having said that, I did, when I started the Silence Project, I did think if I write this one and it gets nowhere, I'm not sure how much more motivation I'm going to, if I've got three unpublished novels, I'm not sure how much motivation I'm going to have to carry on. So it it was it was kind of a combination of things um I mean I I I love it I mean we all love it that's why we do it isn't it but but I I did yeah it was a because I was in the really fortunate position of not writing and having a full-time job um and I'm in awe of people who do that I I you know I just couldn't do it but um because I wasn't doing that it was like well I'm you know (laughs) I'm. I'm not in my dotage yet. I'm not going to just sit and watch cash in the attic every afternoon. I. Like, I need to do something, and the thing I want to be doing is writing. So yeah, I'll. I'll have another go, but. But I was very aware of. Of thinking, if there's if three isn't if I can't do it in three, am I really going to have the motivation to do it in four? But fortunately, <laughs> I didn't have to. <laughs> I didn't have to confront that question. Thank goodness.
1: So once you. Signed with your agent, I assumed that you did some editorial work on your book because I know that was one thing you were kind of really eager to do. What was the process like from that then to your book deal? Was it a pretty quick process?
2: So I signed with Marina in um, January 2021, and yeah, as I said, I had three pretty much three months full time doing. Um, revisions as a result of her feedback which I loved doing I and and because I'd done so much so many classes with my various bits of education I I love feedback I have no problem getting feedback and I'm the same yeah yeah absolutely love it and and also I could see everything she was suggesting would make the book better I mean it it it's such a collaborative thing and yeah I totally love it so I had no problem doing that but I I finished she and I were happy um, that it was complete in April 2021 and it went out on submission and um, there was like radio science for 10 weeks which, which was which was agony but I my understanding is that although it felt like forever actually it's not necessarily that long I don't know how long how long did you wait when it was out on submission oh
1: I actually can't remember I think I've repressed it because it was such a <laughs> stressful upsetting time at points um it, it wasn't very long it was it's got to be uh, I'd say four weeks at most, but my agent and and every agent works really differently as far as I know. My agent set a deadline basically and, and went to went to the editors and said, this is how long you've got left to kind of read it. And um, I don't know whether the idea is that the longer they have it, the less keen they are, or I don't know what the kind of thinking process is. And to be honest, that's one thing I think the kind of submission process is so again with like agents and everything else is so different for everyone that it's and it's one thing that I think no one really understands or talks about <laughs> so we just kind of cross our fingers and be like let's just hope I mean obviously you hear the stories about 48 hour 24 hour preempts and you, you hear kind of about auctions and all this but I think for most people it's a bit of a waiting game really.
2: I I, I mean I it, it like I got to I uh, every single Friday it would get to about five o'clock and actually i feel a great sense of relief because i knew for the next 48 hours i was not i was definitely not going to hear anything so i could stop checking my phone compulsively i could stop thinking is today the day i could actually spend two days knowing i wasn't going to hear anything and then back on monday morning again it would be like oh god is it is it am i going to hear anything and oh god it went on forever (laughs) awful but anyway, 10 weeks. And then um, um, yeah, I signed with Atlantic and um and they've just been they've been absolutely fantastic. But they, even then it was a huge waiting game because I signed with them in so whatever 10 weeks after April was, so June <laughs> or whatever it was. And um and it wasn't even announced for oh, I don't know, I think until like six months later. Mm. So <laughs> like, don't tell anyone. Don't, don't...
1: Yeah, I had to wait nine months before it was announced, which was just a killer. Um, and I, I, I mean, I, I, there were so many people that knew, and I kept kind of dropping hints on Twitter because it's very hard not to, um, because I was befriending people that were debuts. And uh, but yeah, there's a lot of I. W- I mean, I'll ask you a bit in a, in a second about kind of what it's been like for you, but. Um, I don't know whether you found this, that the thing with publishing is it's like slow, slow, slow. And then when you need to do something like an edit or, a you know, a read through or whatever it is you need to do, it's suddenly, well, you've got six days to do this. Go.
2: I know. <laughs> I know. It's a really unnatural way of, well, actually, cause I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm not a control freak, what's the right, I, I just really like to know what I'm doing and when I'm doing it. I'm, mm-hmm. I I don't find spontaneity very easy. And oh, yes,
1: I'm totally the same, like give me give me a, a structure and a schedule and then I'm happy.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. During lockdown, my husband and I started, um, we just don't really argue at all about things, but we actually started arguing because, um, and it, it took me a while to work out what it was I was finding difficult about what his what he was doing. So we've got two dogs. And um so I we'd say I oh, will take them out at, I don't know, eleven o'clock in the morning. And then he'd sort of appear at my desk at quarter past ten and say, right, ready to go. And I'd be like, no, the plan was eleven o'clock. Like, can we just and, and it and I, it took us a little while during lockdown for um, well, for me to to realise what I needed to agree with him was an actual schedule for when we when we would do things during the day, and for him to realise he needed to stick to it, because if he didn't stick to it,
1: <laughs> well, and particularly when you're writing, because oh, I don't know whether you're like this. As soon as I'm interrupted or there's any sort of distraction, that's it. It takes oh, me no. forever to get back into it and yeah. to get in the zone again.
2: Yeah, no, I'm exactly the same. Yeah, so anyway, I uh, I managed to um, <laughs> I managed to teach him the error of his ways. <laughs> So, but yes, yeah, so I did. Yes, I found the whole um, nothing happening with the book for so long, and then loads of stuff happening with the mm. book and do stuff now. Um, I mean, it's great. I mean, who you know, I I uh, I wouldn't change it for the world. But yes, the the way it works is quite difficult.
1: Mm. For the sort so, of so, has there been anything else that you found kind of from? from signing your book deal to now and, and kind of now that your book's out and you're doing publicity and, and you've just, I mean, your, your book's been a radio Two a uh, book club choice, which is amazing. Has there been anything throughout this journey that you found particularly surprising or challenging? And if it, if it has surprised you or, or you found it difficult, how have you kind of dealt with that? I know whether it's a kind of practical or a mental thing that it's, you know, it's a it's a difficult time at times, and and can be an emotional roller coaster as well. So, how was how has it been for you?
2: I think I've um, I've probably had I've had a perhaps um, better or less challenging experience in some but I, I kind of feel like Atlantic have been so great, and I've sort of agreed with all of all of their like their suggestions for the cover and. Um, everything they've done I I've been so happy with that there's been there hasn't been any points of of sort of disagreement so I I just feel like I'm along for the ride and honestly the 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 only thing I've really found challenging is the need for patience mm-hmm. I'm just not particularly patient and I'm really not patient where something's out of my control as well um, so that's but I I other than that no I've I've just loved it all I I didn't I think after the experience with the second unpublished novel mm. I I genuinely thought actually this this might be it I might never achieve the thing that I want more than anything else to achieve and so I I've really just been very very happy to be well thrilled really to just be part of the process and I found it really interesting well like you say I agree there's a lot that seems to be like a black art that we're just not not privy to but I have also found it absolutely fascinating actually just to understand the bits that we are privy to sort of how it works and how the various sort of our publicity and marketing work and how the you know the 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 various functions within a publisher so I actually I've just I've just loved it and just been really grateful that I've been able to experience it so I I there hasn't really been anything negative for me and I mean the the BBC Radio 2 book club thing was just just unbelievable because considering I had absolutely no expectations at all (laughs) including even a publishing contract to find out that I yeah I was going to um go and meet Zoe Ball which completely by chance happened the day I was the day of publication
1: oh wow
2: I know I know which just felt like the most amazing thing I bet
1: you felt like a proper like celebrity author that day
2: it really (laughs) did it was just the weirdest thing particularly as like my publicist my publicist came with me to Broadcasting House and I was like (laughs) gosh this is right okay this is how you know you're
1: living the dream (laughs) yeah
2: yeah for one day I lived the dream (laughs) So, yeah, I don't I don't really other than the need for patience. I haven't I haven't really found anything challenging. And then I haven't really particularly found anything surprising again because quite boringly, I didn't really have any expectations. Mm. I I just I just didn't I just didn't know what to expect. And so on one hand, maybe I'm surprised by everything.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What what, (laughs) what about kind of having your work out there and reviews? Have you been kind of? being able to shut that out and avoid looking or do you are you not bothered by like reviews or things or have you just kind of accepted oh, that I, part of it I, I, I'm
2: bothered
1: <laughs> I've accepted. so, do you, so, so are, you, are you naughty and do you look and then like privately write a response in your head or do you <laughs> yeah. not look and avoid the confrontation I um I
2: I do look um, and then sort of wish I, I find it, I don't know. I find it really, I, I still, I'm, I'm still bemused by the fact that people I don't know are reading the book, whether it's, I mean, the, the book bloggers have been fantastic. I, they really have for me. They, you know, they're just so, so supportive and it's just been a brilliant experience. And, but I was, I was at a, um, I was doing an interview with an, with well with Bonnie garmus at Waterstones yesterday in Cardiff and afterwards after I'd finished interviewing and she was you know she had a queue of so many people to to um sign I was I was just sort of hanging around at the back and somebody came up to me and said oh I'm you know I'm so and so and I'm I'm this book blogger and
1: um
2: and she said I read your book and I post about it and I I knew she was a bit for me that's like oh my god somebody I don't know has a taken the time to read my book and b yes I absolutely remember her posting about it and c has then bothered to come up to me and I I just feel I mean it's just amazing I do yeah. I, it's the most incredible experience mm. so on the whole it's it's absolutely been overwhelmingly positive
1: yes great great right, well it sounds fantastic and um, the whole zero ball thing is just incredible, and the fact you got to do it on publication day is amazing. Because I think for a lot of people, publication day is almost a day where nothing really happens because you or have already received reviews and feedback, and um, you know your book might already be out there in the shops. So that day can be a bit like well, sort of nothingy. So how amazing to kind of go to Broadcasting House and and uh, feel feel famous for a day. I mean, fantastic. <laughs> so finally carol please tell us what you're working on next
2: i can because i've made well i have finished it i'm just sort of uh i'm doing a, the polishing before it goes off to my agent in the next couple of weeks um so i um i'm I'm sticking with the kind of family theme so i you know having done mother and daughter i'm now uh i've written a book about a toxic sibling relationship but it's toxic really because the sits so it's brother and sister and the sister is um a non-violent psychopath so um because i i love the research part of writing um which sort of came out of doing it for the phd and i i realized how um well how enjoyable it is and and so i've i've read every sort of popular science book that you can Think of about psychopaths, Um, but I didn't want to um, even try to do a sort of serial killer type. I mean, Mm. it's been done and done brilliantly by so many, so many better writers than me. I was really interested in, uh, or I have been really interested in the idea of the sort of um, psychopath that's manipulative, manipulative on quite a, a sort of a small scale within a within a family. So
1: yes that's wow that that's sounds lovely. so exciting well I can't wait to read it Carol and thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today oh
2: thank you Claire. I've absolutely loved it thank you so much
1: that was Carol Haley talking about her thriller The Silence Project which is out now and available to buy and if you'd like to support this podcast debut authors and independent bookshops you can now shop in the Confessions of a Debut Novelist bookshop hosted by bookshop.org, which I've linked down below in the show notes. If you fancy buying any of the books you've heard on this podcast, then the majority of them can be found in this bookshop and if you can, I would really appreciate you supporting me, supporting the authors and independent bookshops by buying them through this online store. Thank you so much for listening and if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or if you've subscribed already, it'd be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time.